Chris Gelser here with Mal. On this episode of the first run, Matt and I are close. Matt, it's the last episode of the year. One more year, and the first run books is about to be closed, folks. And we're going to share our thoughts on Matrix Resurrections. Lana Wachowski returns to the franchise that I think Matt is fair to say changed cinema with a brand new story to tell, but perhaps a story somewhat influenced by the studio saying, you know, we're going to make a sequel of this either way. And then Adam McKay brings his all-star cast again, along with some political commentary, to discuss his eco-disaster political satire, Don't Look Up. We'll share the uh, big releases on physical media, featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week, and then Matt and I are going to share, of course, our five favorite or funniest, whatever, Adam McKay scenes. But let's start everything off with a clip from Matrix Resurrections. What were you feeling at that point? What was I feeling? I felt either I'm having a mental breakdown again, or I'm living inside a computer-generated reality that has imprisoned me again. (laughs) Not much of a choice. No. Maybe it's not as binary as that. Maybe there are other ways to understand what happened. Yeah. Thomas, you were a suicide survivor, gifted with a powerful imagination. Those facts have combined to create dangerous fictions in your life. I think we all, Matt, experience a little bit of that as well. I I know I have some very dangerous fictions in my life. Let's level set. Now, I rewatched all the prior films, Matt, and watched The Animatrix for the first time. I had never seen it. Did you do any reviewing? Yeah, so I watched the first three films, and then um, I didn't rewatch The Animatrix, but I've seen it enough times to be familiar with it. So I didn't know until watching The Animatrix that it's basically our fault that all <laughs> this happened. <laughs> right. So that doesn't that's not really discussed at all in the first three films. That's really humanity's own what prejudice, I guess, is what causes yeah. their own downfall. Yeah, I mean they Morpheus does admit that we destroyed the environment in an attempt to stop the machines, but it didn't really say that obviously it was us that brought the machines to the breaking point as it is. Yeah, man, I just that was fascinating. It put a whole new spin on the entire series for me, really. So First, I want to say for me, Matt, they held up remarkably well. I've softened on my criticism of the original sequels as well. I think they still have some weak points, but overall, Mm -hmm. I think the series is very enjoyable. What about you? Mm -hmm. What was your rewatch findings? Yeah, I agree. Like, I cannot tell you how much I hated um, Matrix Reloaded, which is the second one when when it first came out. I can say pretty easily it's still the weakest of the three but the final chapter in um makes revolutions is actually better than i remembered it i think i i think i enjoyed all of them a lot more than i probably would have considered in years past yeah all right so it's been 20 years we've left with we left off basically right with neo and trinity dead and a truce between the humans and the machines so matt what's happening now that's an interesting question based on how much we want to tell people about what's going to happen. But Mm. essentially um, there's a character named Thomas Anderson played by Keanu Reeves, who is, 
he's a video game designer. He's created a game called The Matrix, which I guess is incredibly popular. And at some point, he believed it was all real, and he had a mental break. And now he is starting to see signs of those mental breaks again. And is it real, or is it just in his mind? Deep, man. Mm-hmm. So Warner Brothers allegedly went to the Wachowskis and said, listen, we want to move forward with this property. We think there's still some gold to mine here, and we'd love for you to be on board. But if you're not, guess what? We're going to do it anyway. So Lana comes back to craft this story and bring back The Matrix for a new film, even though initially they both said, what, there's really no more stories to tell. Well, here we are. So let me ask you, Matt, was this a story worth telling? Or has even Lana fallen victim to nostalgia-itis? Can you ever really truly go home again? And should you? Yeah, I think this is one of those films that I think if the studio was going to make another one anyway, that Lana took the opportunity to at least put her spin on it as one of the two original creators. Now, it's unfortunate her sister couldn't join her, but I think it's about as good as we can get it with that particular creator. And to be honest with you, as good as the last Renaissance is in the Animatrix, I'm almost curious to see what somebody else could do with this. Whereas this, we said it last week, is a lot of fan service, but in this case, I don't know if all of it is good. Hmm. What do you think? Like like an Alex Garland or someone else uh, could come in and really do something with this property? Yeah, maybe. Um, You know, I think it's honestly, it's something that's been around for decades. It's something that a lot of people have thought about. Um, There could be some fresh blood in this. I I don't know. Whereas this, I'm not 100% sure. Well, I'm 100% sure this is is not necessary. Denis Villeneuve's Matrix Resurrection. (laughs) Matrix. (laughs) That's me. I got to admit, I would be excited for that as well. Uh, There's a lot of meta stuff in this, Matt. I think... Mm -hmm with WB threatening to move forward without the Wachowski sisters is actually depicted in the film. And mm-hmm. I'm hard pressed to think of another project that so openly flips off its parent company. Right. Right. Uh, I was actually kind of like, all right, good for you. Uh, a couple things. I think the effects in this matter solid though, somehow at times cheaper and less realistic than the originals. And I was mm-hmm. watching my new 4k set on my new 4k TV. I'm just going to keep rubbing it in, rubbing it in with my new 4k UHD player. And it looked great. Then I watched this in the same system and it looked kind of cheap at times. And I'm wondering, I wonder if that was either, it's not a budget issue because they got like 190 million to make this thing, right? So mm-hmm. I don't think that's it. I don't know if it's a COVID timing availability of staff issue. And then there's one scene when I was kind of trying to figure out, I was revisiting this, trying to pull some clips, figure out what I wanted to do. And the opening scene, when we first, Neo meets his his analyst, his psychiatrist, whatever the case may be. And that establishing shot, that's kind of like a drone shot, looks very fake to me. Mm-hmm. And But then I'm like, well, maybe that's the point. Maybe Lana's trying to illustrate a kind of video game reality potentially. And that's why it does. It looks like a cinematic to me. Mm -hmm. And I'm not like, well, maybe that's on purpose. And what are your thoughts? Are there issues? What do you think about the effects and all that? Do you have any issues with it? Like I did. I don't know if it's just because in the original matrix trilogy, they were forced to, 
I think to an extent, use more practical effects where it's a combination of the two, whereas that this, I think, is almost completely digital. So maybe that doesn't sell as well, um, especially, you know, as, as far as long as we've come, if you're making something look extremely unrealistic, you know, that couldn't happen using real people, it looks, it just glares and it doesn't look right. And that's still the way. Um I don't know. Like I didn't really have a problem. And I thought a lot of the effects that were there were pretty exciting and were pretty well done. But if I major complaint with this, it doesn't really seem to have much for an action movie. It doesn't seem to have much action. Am I wrong in that? Especially compared to the first three. I would say maybe compared to the first batch, you are not wrong. I think the film is telling a different story this time Mm -hmm. and i think lana has something she clearly wants to say and though i think that the script is mostly okay it feels a little underbaked like maybe need another Mm -hmm. pass or two i'm not sure Mm -hmm. i think some of the stuff she's saying in regards to the social commentary i think really works i think it's better than the original films when it comes to some of the social commentary that she's trying to get across I think she deals with the red pill BS that the skeptic kind of alt-right community has run with. They really adopted that scene Mm -hmm. and kind of distorted its original meaning. And I think she tackles that head on with that round table at the video game HQ, which is kind of her direct retort to the distortion of the film's original message. And I think she's about getting back to the point, right? In this film, her point is that it's about choice and what, that choice what is that choice this time Matt? i think hokily maybe but as it's as honest and true as it's ever been and there ever will be is that choice is love and the choice to accept our current states and to do the work to repair and maybe make things better in the environment you live in not to lie to each other or lie to ourselves and foster these imagined past status of things or things are better off the way they were in the past these the <sighs> These people who have adopted that red pill mentality and distorted it uh, for their own kind of forbidden knowledge tropes and seeing the world what it truly is. I always felt they were the really the blue pill takers all along. Mm-hmm. And I think Lana has a lot to say about reclaiming what the Matrix means and what it's about in this film. I think this little one is a little more overtly political uh, than the original series. Yeah, so I guess that's an interesting way to... It's an interesting way to think about it. I mean, what made the initial Matrix so interesting, and it, and it's true of a lot of forms of art, of really any kind of great forms of art, is that there's a there's a certain level of interpretation. You can kind of apply what it means to you to sure. what you're seeing. Um, now, granted, you and I and, and Lana Wachowski and her sister may think these guys who have come up with the red pill is wrong at the way to look at it, but you're kind of putting out a ambiguous bit of art where has the metaphor has to be kind of sussed out and there's always that danger, but I think that makes for a better piece of art. Whereas this, like you said, kind of seems like she's trying to reclaim those things and trying Mm -hmm. to be very explicit saying like, no, this is what I mean. And while I appreciate that in and of itself, but I also feel like the overall effect and kind of, fun and awe of it is kind of taken away because you're not left to suss those things out for yourself and apply your own kind of uh, interpretation to this thing. It's I can see why she did it, although I think there may be something a little lost in the telling. That's an interesting argument. 
I don't know if I can really counter that. I think that makes sense to me. And I think that's a fair a fair assessment of the film as well. Um, I think it would could serve to have some more intense, or at least at least one more action sequence. Mm-hmm. I think some of the stuff isn't as vibrant and alive and as new as and different as it was in the first series, particularly that first film. Yeah, I think some of the advancements that they do come up with in this film are interesting. They're no longer needing to find the phone booth. Not that you'd be able to now anyway. Right. <laughs> right. I mean, there are a bunch of little things that were changes that I thought were interesting and I appreciated. I wanted to... Well, let me ask you about that. What did you think about some of the changes to everything in this in this universe here? Did you think the advancements and stuff helped to the story or are they just kind of necessary to meet up, come up with the times that we're in today or... Yeah, I think it's both. I mean, I think... I mean, not to spoil anything, guys. I, I'll tr- do my best here, but... If the idea is after the end of the last movies, you know, people have died um, and kind of the Matrix itself was kind of turned on its head, whereas the way they made it sound was is that the Matrix was kind of in a perpetual late 90s, early 2000s state and never really advanced past that because that's what we people were used to, where it sounds like they're taking today and the reason it is the way it is is because it's a new matrix. It's a, it's got a different architect and that's all different. So I was completely fine with that. I thought it was a clever way to go at it. I thought it was, this film is weird for me because I was really on board for it with it for about the first half. And then it starts to kind of fall apart in the second half because they're trying to put in too much in here and it feels very rushed to me. Yeah. I mean, there's, when she starts talking about, when I say she, I'm talking to Lana, the, change in the new matrix and why it exists and why it ends up being more productive i guess for mm-hmm. the machines mm-hmm. i thought well, again more social commentary i thought really interesting concept makes sense to me but yeah i think you the first half of the film it's really you're trying to figure out you're, you're getting your bearings still right right and trying to figure out what's happening and why and then when we finally get the stuff revealed I don't know if it has it's well, I mean, I, I know it doesn't have the same impact that the original film right. does. I don't know how it possibly could. Right. But it still does feel kind of like a bit of a, a subtle slight letdown. I think that's that's true. Um one thing I appreciated though is Keanu Reeves in this film. I think that he really brings something different to the role this time. There's kind of a playfulness to his performance that was not part of the original trilogy. What did you think of Reeves and Carrie Ann Moss? Yeah, I mean, they're in the original trilogy, both of them are very kind of wooden. I think that's a, an intentional choice, but they're kind of, you know, these jaded, hard people who are kind of this yin and yang gods kind of thing. And and now it's they're more much more have much more personality. And I'm I'm on board for it. I thought it, I, although, you know, the way all this turned out, I, I'm pretty sure I that's what the way it turned out is what I was thinking was going to happen. But I think overall, I, I think they were much more emotive I, if that's the best way to put it. Yeah. I think that's good. And uh, a couple other things too. I'm on the fence about Neil Patrick Harris's character. Yeah. I don't know how I feel about that performance in the end, or if he was the right guy for that role. I don't know. I'm still, I, I'm undecided now. I will say I just, just recently watched this. So I need probably just to sit with it a little longer, but I'm not sure. I was happy to see Christina Ritchie show up even for a little bit. I keep hearing yeah. great things about Yellow Jackets, so i got to check yeah. that out at some point. But I don't know. I think the biggest question I have for you, Matt, is does this feel small to you? Does it suffer at all from a case of like Force Awakens-ism? 
where we're kind of telling a different version of the same story. Mm-hmm. Not as much because it seems to make sense in the universe of the matrix that these kinds of stories would repeat, especially if these particular characters are still alive. So I'm fine with that. I think it does feel small because as we said before, a Lana had a very particular, you know, she had a problem with the way her work was interpreted along with her sister's portion of the work was interpreted. So she wanted to be very explicit in the kind of message she was trying to deliver. And I think honestly, there's just too much story and too much that they're trying to cram into a two hour movie. This really could have been at least two movies. And I think it probably would have been better if it had the opportunity to to breathe. I think that's really the kind of big thing is that it's, she has something that she definitely wants to be clear that she's getting across and there's just too much here to try and cram into a single film, which I, and I, and I don't think she has any desire to create another film, but I think he really could have used another one. Yeah. It does leave room for a sequel at the end as well. Yeah. I mean, she has in the staff and the, the staff, the, the cast, um, like Keanu Reeves have said, there's no plans to make another one. And I know this one hasn't made a ton of money. Um, so I, I don't know if there will be another one. Yeah. I know Warner Brothers says they'd still be interested in moving forward, but of course. Right. Yeah. I'm telling you, I mean, I really think the Wachowskis should be like consultants, should be story consultants, but they should kind of hand over the reins to somebody else and see what we can do with it. And maybe not even have Neo in it or not even have Keanu Reeves in it. Who knows? I'm telling you, you may have sold me on this idea. I think that is a, a really fascinating thing. Um, what do you think about the recasting and re... I don't know how you want to put it, the adjustment of some yeah. of the characters. Is that is that a budgetary thing, you think? Or yeah. yeah, that's really interesting. Like, I did they ask those actors and actresses and they said no? They didn't want to do it kind of thing? Mm-hmm. Um, is it a budgetary thing? Maybe. But you, like you said, it's $190 million. Um, or is it about, you know, these these figures transforming into somebody else? I don't really know. I think they solve whatever the challenge is reasonably yeah. well. I was a little concerned about it initially. But in the end, I I think it worked fine with how they Yeah, they I agree. It. I agree. But if I missed anything, it's Hugo Weaving saying Mr. Anderson. Right. <laughs> It's one of my favorite things about that entire series. I don't know, Matt. What do you think? What are your final thoughts on uh, Resurrections here? I don't think it's a bad movie. I think it's a flawed movie. And some of the decisions that were made, I understand why they were made with them. Although I don't know if the movie's better for it. Um, I think it may have suffered as a kind of a piece of, of art and kind of the kind of mind expanding possibilities that you get from really good science fiction. Um, so I, I think obviously there should be more of it. I understand why they did what they did. I didn't hate it, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's great. Um, for me, it's probably like a C plus film. I'm not that far away from you. I think it's a bit of a mess, but I can't say I didn't enjoy it. Uh, I don't think it's a total disaster. I think yeah. it's a story that justified its existence and it's enjoyable enough. I had fun with it. I'm actually going to give it a B minus. So we're really not yeah. that far apart on that at all. What are your thoughts on Matrix Resurrections? Shoot us an email at feedback 
at thefirsttorun.com. It is currently available on HBO Max and in the theaters, though Spider-Man No Way Home, I think, has been <laughs> cannibalizing theaters left and right. Yeah. So You know what? I can't be mad at it because it's such a fun film. Yeah. Nah, absolutely right. Good times. Matt, let's go ahead and talk about what's coming up on physical media this upcoming Tuesday, January 4th. January 4th, dear God. It's going to be, I think, one of the better horror films of this year, but possibly the most depressing thing we may have watched. Once, there were three bears that lived in a dark and wet cave up above a small town. Big bear, little bear. Baby Bear. Big Bear used to take care of the little bears. But Big Bear got sick. Lost his job. And his insides turned black. One day, Little Bear came home. And Big Bear and Baby Bear were different. Big Bear's sickness had gotten worse. Big Bear has become more angrier and meaner because they had no food, no meat. It's, it's very good, Lucas. But they had each other. Matt, that is the horror film Antlers, produced by Guillermo del Toro, written and directed by Scott Cooper. The first horror film I think I've seen about a Wendigo, but one of the better creature designs of the past few years, Matt. I think we both really enjoyed uh, Antlers, though. It, man, it is depressing. Yeah, it is a tough sip, but I, I enjoyed it. I think it's one of the better horror films we've seen this year. Absolutely. So it includes uh, interviews with Scott Cooper, uh, a featurette with Guillermo del Toro, where he talks about modern horror and uh, some other featurettes. Something else coming out, Matt. We actually talked about it last week. The Bruce Campbell, uh, Devin Sawa, Michael J. White film, Black Friday, is getting its physical release. I remember during the show, I wasn't quite sure when it was coming out. Well, now you know. Abel Ferreira's latest film featuring Ethan Hawke, Zeros and Ones, is being released. An American soldier stationed in Rome with the Vatican blown up embarks on a hero's journey to uncover and defend against an unknown enemy threatening the entire world. The IFC midnight film The Djinn is being released. It's about a mute boy who's trapped in his apartment with a sinister monster when he makes a wish to fulfill his heart's greatest desire. Shudder is releasing The Super Deep. The Cola Super Deep borehole mat is the most large-scale secret object of the country. In 1984, inexplicable sounds like screams of many voices were recorded at the depths of more than 12 kilometers, which I think is about 10 feet. In the wake of these events, the object was closed. A small research team went down below the surface to find out what secret the world's deepest borehole was hiding. What they found turned out to be the greatest threat in history. Also being released is a film that I would never want to see. I do not know why anybody would make this movie, but they went ahead and did it. It's called Together, featuring James McAvoy, a husband and wife who are forced to reevaluate themselves and their relationship to the reality of the COVID-19 lockdown. Are there any COVID-19 properties, Matt, movies that you would want to watch? Not for a very long time. Maybe when we have decades of separation, it'll be more interesting. Maybe. I don't know. 
New to Blu-ray, Kino Lorber is releasing a bunch of stuff. Uh, Rich and Strange, also known as East of Shanghai. It's an old Hitchcock film. It's a brand new 4K restoration. The French film Only the Animals is being released by Cohen Media Group. It's about a woman who disappears after a snowstorm. Her car is discovered on a road to a small remote village. While the police don't know where to start, five people are linked to the disappearance, each one with his or her own secret. Back to Kino Lorber, though, Matt. All My Sons, featuring Edward G. Robinson and Burt Lancaster. China is being released during the Japanese invasion of China. A cynical, macho profiteer meets a compassionate, beautiful school teacher. Brand new audio commentary on that. James Cagney's Shake Hands with the Devils from 1959 being released, the brand new 2K restoration. Ray Milland and Marlena Dietrich star in Golden Earrings from 1947. The Crime of the Century from 1933 gets a brand new 4K master. Double Door from 1934 is coming out as well. In a spooky New York City mansion, a wealthy but mean old woman threatens to return her sister to the home secret torture chamber when the sister objects to the woman's trying to ruin their lives or ruin the lives of relatives she doesn't like. Code Red is releasing The Naked Ape featuring Johnny Crawford and Victoria Principal. That gets a brand new 2K master. And then Matt, your straight to DVD pick of the week. I'm assuming maybe this property is just in the public domain at this point, considering all the films and sequels that come out. But I'm going with The Amityville Scarecrow, a summer camp that is about to open to unwitting guests. However, there is something evil that lurks on the land. Matt, what should we be streaming this week? So I'm going to recommend a film by, or not a film, a series on Netflix by one of our um, favorite horror bro- bros um, that have come out of the last 10 years or so, Mike Flanagan's um, Midnight Mass. It is a limited uh, run series. It's a single season, eight episodes. It's about a um, priest who comes home to a uh, his island community, his isolated island community, and um, there are strange things start to happen and um, how it affects the rest of the island community. I don't want to give too much away, but uh, I've been really enjoying it so far. I man, I gotta catch up with that. I kept hearing good things. I haven't watched any of Flanagan's show. He's on Netflix, and he's doing what? Fall of the House of Usher next too, right? He is, but he's doing a an anthology series um, next um, about. I think it's called the Midnight Society or something like that. I know that's Are You Afraid of the Dark? But basically, it's about it's like an anthology series where people get together and tell scary stories. But his, um, <clears throat> I watched the first season of his Haunting of Hill House. That was actually really good, too. I haven't watched the second season, but the first one was quite enjoyable. I got to check that out. All right. Matt, let's keep rolling. It's our last episode of the year. We're going to go out strong. Adam McKay is back. His work with Will Ferrell, Matt, has been some of the funniest films that I think I have seen in the past 20-plus years. Usually rock solid, though. I think we've had some speed bumps lately, Matt. Does he turn the corner with Don't Look Up? I think it was Winston Churchill who's, or maybe it was Bobby Knight who said the great labor of leadership is to lay down one's yoke of pride and admit that mistakes were made. You were deceived, as was I, but the end result was we had our scientists who went to uh, the prestigious schools of Harvard, Princeton, etc. They confirmed the data. So we would like to offer you a presidential apology really and we are fully prepared to mobilize in a historic fashion in order to save this planet 
So basically, what you're saying is you're about to lose the midterms because you got caught sending pictures of your cooch to your porn star sheriff boyfriend. So now it's to your advantage to act on the comet. Right. So Adam McKay returns, Matt. He's made a few of these all-star cast movies, right? What, The Big Short? And then a bunch of people are are in uh, the Dick Cheney film. Mm-hmm. Um, Vice. And now, what was it? Sorry, Vice. Vice. Thank you. I know. I wanted to say Dick, but I knew that wasn't accurate at all. <laughs> so this time around, uh, Leonardo DiCaprio and Jennifer Lawrence. He is a professor. She is a PhD student. They discover a comet that is hurtling towards the planet, and we basically have six months to live because it's going to be a direct hit and it's an extinction level event. But unfortunately, they keep running into a uh, government and a populace that are either oblivious, refuse to do anything, too wrapped up in their own lives, incompetent, you name it. Matt, I think we feel that the gold standard of satire films is Dr. Strangelove. Is that fair? Would you agree? Yeah, I think that's that's fair, yes. So has McKay kind of rediscovered his mojo after a film or so that didn't really kind of land is he back making some really kind of funny stuff that may be topical as well no end of segment (laughs) um yeah i here's the thing so these kind of end of the world i'll use air quotes comedies are kind of hard to pull off because ultimately one of two things is going to happen at the end of the movie they're What's going to happen transpires and it's very depressing or it doesn't for some reason and kind of everybody breathes a sigh of relief kind of thing. I had problems with this film, just like uh, that Steve Carell film, Seeking a Friend for the End of the World kind of thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's a very hard backdrop, right? This kind of impending existential doom across the entire planet. And kind of what McKay focuses on here is the things that... Um, divide us um and on the political spectrum especially in this country to the nth degree and he kind of takes it to its most absurd conclusion but honestly it's so depressingly feasible and plausible that i didn't enjoy watching it that much at all because it doesn't really seem funny it just seems like it's like this is essentially how it would happen um as ridiculous as it may seem yeah it's that was like the first thing I wrote too. And the problem is too, I was in a very sensitive state when I was watching right. this. I was dealing with the, uh, we had a, adopted a dog and then things didn't work out and it was very sad. And I was on in the middle of that while I was watching this. So I yeah. was already in a rough mood. Right. And this thing is just, it's depressing. It is all hell. Now, listen, I get that satire doesn't necessarily have to be laugh, riot, hilarious. I understand that. But I need some laughs. I need some right. good times. Right. And it's just, it's, I know this is kind of cliched and maybe even lazy, but it's just not that funny. And I think McKay hasn't found that balance yet with dealing with these kind of high political commentary things and then injecting him with humor. I think he was closest with the big short, but then came Vice. Right. And now we're here. And I feel like the film is, Matt, it's too focused on making its point. And it's, I'll say too, like you say, it's, it's too disturbingly timely as well. And it ends up, ends up, I think in the end, 
shooting itself in the foot. It ends up being an indictment of the left and its own ability to fall victim to its own online echo chamber. Right. It's really what it felt like. To, like I'm watching a Twitter thread in real time about the Hollywood leftist liberal people, you know, it's running through all this stuff, which has, it, you know, if you listen to this with any discerning ear, you'll, you'll know that I'm a big lefty kind of guy. And watching this, I'm like, God, no, 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 no. <laughs> and I think it's the film, I will say, takes no prisoners, but it's too heavy handed. Yeah. It's always, like you said, the absolute most ridiculous scenario. The film has snuffed out subtlety. Just put a pillow yeah. over subtlety's head and put it to sleep forever. Right. Yeah, I guess it's it's interesting. I think McKay is making the point that, you know, right wing or left wing, whichever side of the, the aisle you fall on, if you're, you know, in American politics or anything like that, you're so busy kind of pointing out how stupid the other one looks that you're too blind to see what's right in front of you. In this case, a massive comment that's going to kill everything. Cause I mean, obviously the president played by Meryl Streep, you know, is, is kind of a right wing Trumper kind of person. Um, even insofar as I think the bright spot in this film, Jonah Hill playing her son, who's also the chief of staff, you know, in a, in a nice dig of nepotism there. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, honestly, if if I was McKay, what I would have done and what's what I would hope in the real world solution in case this ever comes up is that um, some of the other countries in the world would have kind of managed to pull themselves out of their, you know, together and kind of save everything when we're too busy being stupid to do anything about it. Um, but that's not really what happens here. So it's very bleak. Um It's not even as funny as seeking a friend for the end of the world. It lies in some of the black humor that's there. Um, yeah, I just feel like it's way too timely and way too, um, possible or probable to really be that enjoyable. I mean, the thing about Dr. Strangelove is especially now is that we don't, maybe we're moving up towards another cold war, but those cold war days are kind of over. So it's kind of easier to laugh at something that we've avoided. We think, um, whereas this is not you know, with our climate change and COVID denialism and everything else that we're hurtling towards extinction. So it's a little too close to home, you know? Yeah, no, I agree entirely with that. It, it's just, he tries so desperately to balance the darkness with this overly broad comedy and he yeah, just doesn't, no. he doesn't pull it off and it turns into something that's frustrating and depressing. And thinking of talking about frustrating Matt, some of his camera shots, his choices, that's shot selections. I don't understand. There's like lots of zoomed in ancillary shots of arms, mm -hmm. hands, feet, awards. I don't know if we're just building up tension to kind of illustrate nervousness, anxiety, make us uneasy, et cetera. But it's, for me, it's all just distracting. It was just right. annoying to me. Right. And though you like Jonah Hill, which I think is fine. I probably enjoyed Kate Blanchett a lot in this as well. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and then maybe Melanie Linsky, who I think is a national treasure. It brings kind of a depth and sensitivity, I think, to almost everything she does. She plays uh, Leonardo DiCaprio's wife in this film. Um, but I will say, I want to bar Mark Relance from ever working again. <laughs> he plays kind of the Steve Jobs, you know, cook kind of mobile genius guy. Right. Who's this, he's this weird affect with his voice that is just infuriating and annoying as heck. And that's 
the big issue, right? I mean, I okay. There's some, uh, let's run down a couple of my issues with it. the Ariana Grande Kid Cudi stuff is inert in DOA. I understand it's supposed to illustrate our society's fascination with pop culture of the things mm-hmm. that are really important, but it just doesn't work. I think the Supreme Court justice stuff is probably the strongest comedy in the entire film. Um, and the stuff with Mark Relance's Peter Isherwell too, about, you know, showing our over-reliance, all this stuff on pop tech, political malpractice, and then its eventual ineptitude. Listen, I am all in on taking swipes on Elon Musk as much as possible. That guy is a fraud <laughs> and a hack. All right. So that's fine with me. I just wish it was done better and smarter. So I don't know, Matt. The thing that frustrates me is I think this is a film that should be made. Right. Using the events as a metaphor here, which is what McKay's clearly doing for climate change, because that's the inevitable thing that's coming at us that we're doing nothing about. Or perhaps even some COVID response stuff, right? And then I like the idea of lampooning and really nailing to the wall the media's handling of politics and its obsession with both siding things. And 10 years ago, maybe McKay would have been the guy for this. But I don't think he is anymore. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's kind of moved away. I think if this had been, which you know, I'm sure we'll talk about in our final segment quite a bit, but if this had been more you know, in his Will Ferrell vein where it had a lot more absurdism to it, I think this would have gone over a lot better because I don't know what that looks like, but obviously his over-seriousness and his kind of desire to make a point, which we really kind of saw at the end of the other guys, I think just sinks this. I think he's just, he's just not capable of pulling off this kind of thing. And it's unfortunate. Unfortunately, it seems like he's got to either go full on absurdness, you know, craziness to be funny, or he should just stick to being serious. I don't know what to think anymore. I really don't. That's too bad. Really. And listen, folks, if you want to see a great film about the disaster, that is our response to climate change. Watch Paul Schrader's first reform with Ethan Hawke. Mm. Now that's more of a horror film in a thriller, right? Than it is a comedy, obviously. But that film has a much stronger political message than this thing even comes close to approaching. It really, it's bad. I'm I'm giving Don't Look Up a D plus. I don't think I'm being kind. Yeah, um, I think I give it a D as well. It's not particularly good. Although I do want to point out, apropos of nothing, but Melanie Linsky is also in Yellow Jackets. So maybe you should be watching Yellow Jackets, but she's also British, so she's a UK national treasure, not an American national treasure. Well, she's an adopted national treasure, I guess. I'll put it that way. (laughs) So this has been out for about a week now, and it is currently streaming on Netflix. And there's been some pushback from uh, the online left community as well, which is, I think, one of the criticisms I have where I think it's too over-reliant on that, it kills me to say this, this kind of echo chambery thing. But my boy, Ron Perlman, even said F the critics on Instagram, which, you know, I, I still run Perlman. I'll never hold that against him because, you, may, you know, it's one of those we made this for the fans, not for the critics type of things. All right. <laughs> but still, yeah. Listen, folks, I'm telling you, take a step back from your work. I think David Sirota, who co-wrote the film with McKay, uh, has had some choice words for people criticizing it as well. And I guess there is some, I don't know how legit this is. I just saw this online that there's like the climate change community also is praising the film mm-hmm. uh, for its message and stuff, which is fine. Just let's not confuse it with being an actually a good film. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Good advice. Sage advice. 
from one Mr. Chris Scalzo. Thanks, bro. Mm-hmm. Esquire. See, maybe, um, maybe after all, you don't know shit, Chris. Maybe I do. <laughs> maybe I once do. Once in a while. Once, once in, a while. in a while. Twice a day. <laughs> all right, Matt. Let's let's end the year on a strong note. Let's end the year with some stuff that actually made us laugh and revisit the good times. Hi, Pearl. You don't have to raise your voice. You pay you! I can give you half. You pay little bitch. Hey, don't talk to me like that, okay? I'm getting this crap. Look, I, I thought I was clear in my email that I needed a couple weeks. I worked too hard. Can I just get two more weeks? I want my money. You need to relax. Yeah, that's all. Uh-uh. I want my money, bitch. Hey, don't call me bitch. I'm a grown man. Don't make fun of me cry. You be a bit fit. I'm not I'm not doing so good, Pearl. I put you on the street. Pearl, I'm gonna pay you. I I I'm working three jobs right now. I'm working nights. I'm driving a I'm driving a cab. I'm inside with my buddy right now just going over my resume. I'm gonna snack you. Okay, you know what? You need to relax. I got my money! Look, why do you need your money so fast? Come on. I need to get my drink on. You scare me. You're an alcoholic. Matt, I remember the first time I watched The Landlord from Funny or Die, which was Will Ferrell, Adam McKay's, and some others uh, attempt to build like a, a comedy website. I laughed right. so hard I cried at that. The Landlord is fantastic. I didn't put it into this list because it's not a film. It's a web short, but Mm -hmm. it's definitely on my honorable mentions. And the follow-up where Pearl plays a uh, cop is also hilarious. (laughs) She beats him (laughs) with a phone book. Yeah. That is is really good as well. So that, of course, for the uninitiated, Pearl is actually Adam McKay's daughter. So, uh, yeah, good times. Good old Landlord. Uh, That's a good one, Matt. All right. So I'll start us off and I'll give you the ultimate number one. If we have different number ones, I may cancel the show. I can't think of anything funnier than what my number one is. But we're going to start at number five. Okay. And um, I think, Matt, I I couldn't, I had to go clip heavy for this one. So enjoy. All right. Then you do us proud. Because I don't want no scrubs. Really? No. You're not aware that's a TLC song. I have no idea what you're talking about. You said chasing waterfalls. Now you're saying you don't want no scrubs. I haven't even understood the reference. It's like a tick. I have no idea what you're talking about. Remember, this thing gets messy. We never talked. You can trust us. Real quiet. You got a creep. Creep. Come on. You don't say creep, creep unless you're quoting TLC. I love all of Michael Keaton's TLC references and the other guys. He was like probably one of my favorite things about that film. It was such a surprise because I don't think I'd really seen been in a bunch of stuff before that, right? He did that horror film. Did he do Pulse? No, White Noise. Right, it was mm-hmm. the first thing I'd seen him in in a long time, and mm-hmm. then I saw him in the other guys, and I just, man, I just, how much I love that guy. So, the, all of Michael Keaton's TLC references is my number five. Okay, all right. So my number five is uh, from Anchorman, and I believe Chris, you you have it up for us to listen to. I absolutely do. <sighs> Boy, that escalated quickly. I mean, that really got out of hand fast. It jumped up a notch. 
It did, didn't it? Yeah, I stabbed a man in the heart. I saw that. Brick killed a guy. Did you throw a trident? Yeah, there were horses and a man on fire, and I killed a guy with a trident. Brick, I've been meaning to talk to you about that. You should find yourself a safe house or a relative close by. Lay low for a while, because you're probably wanted for murder. Yeah, so that is um, the aftermath of the ludicrous news team fight um, where there are several murders. They fight uh, uh, Luke Wilson and they fight Vince Vaughn's, uh, what's his name? Something Mantooth. Um, all I know yeah. is that Dorothy Mantooth is a saint. Um, but yeah, it, it really kind of brings in Anchorman to just show that whereas most people would have never referenced that again in the film, they spend a good, you know, five minutes talking about um, the absurdity that just happened. And it just really puts a nice capper on it. So that escalated quickly. A meme that lives on for in perpetuity is my number five. That's a good one. No, that is solid. I, the, the whole news anchor fight too is an honorable mention for me. It didn't quite make the cut for mm. me, unfortunately. Now, I think one film that didn't really get a lot of love, Matt, for a long time, but has since become a bit of a cult classic. I just don't think it performed well. Maybe I'm misremembering that. But one that I absolutely loved and laughed so hard I cried. Like I think most of the films, and most at least the clips that we're going to talk about here. But I think this particular scene in Step Brothers may be an all-timer. We'd like to present the world premiere of Prestige Worldwide's first music video by our first act, Huff and Doback. Roll it. Roll it. Pay close attention, Dad. It's gonna look familiar. This, this is, this is perfect. Is that my boat? It is. What are you doing on my boat? That's my boat. Nina, Santa Maria. I'll do you in the bottom while you're drinking sangria. Nachos, lemonheads, my dad's boat. You won't go down, cause my dick can float. We sail around the world and go port to port. Every time I come, I produce a quart. That is offensive. Cannon, Dale. Deadliest catch without the crabs. We're almost out of gas. Called the A-Rabs. Pull up the anchor because we're leaving dry land. Get below deck with a tick in your hand. Ah, uh, boats and hoes. Really, it's it's like music to me. What is music to my it ears? Is, it is music, yeah. It yeah. is quite literally. Yeah, Step Brothers is probably became was a became a dark horse. Maybe my favorite of the Adam McKay, William uh, William Will Ferrell films. I really enjoy it. I haven't watched that thing in probably ten plus years. I need to really? revisit it desperately. I've watched it like three times in like the last like two. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right i'm definitely gonna watch it again then i'll watch uh yeah i'll watch in the next two weeks i got a lot to watch coming up but i'm gonna get in there absolutely okay what about you what's your four all right my number four is the other guys um and it's not involving mark Wahlberg. it's not involving will ferrell it is when the rock and samuel l jackson are chasing down the um bad guys and they're at the top of like a 30-story building and they're having that conversation about you know what if we just run you know jump you know, hit the hit the uh, the the bushes. Uh, maybe do a quick roll. We'll be fine. And then they jump off to Dave Grohl's My Hero, which leads to their untimely demise and bases everything else from the film. It's just a, it's just a piece of ludicrous absurdity that's just pitch perfect for a a horror um, horror an action film um, redo. 
I love the other guys so much. That's another film too. I wish they'd make a sequel. But then part of me is like, no, no, I don't want to touch it because it's so perfect. I like like Anchorman, yeah. right? I think Anchorman two isn't bad, but no, man, that first one is one of those rare films that gets funnier every time you watch it. So, all right, where am I? Number three. I told you, folks, I was clip heavy. This is for you. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR, as we call them. And of course, my red hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone cold fox, mm. who if you were to rate her ass on 100, it would easily be a 94. Mm. Also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. My thing about that is John C. O'Reilly is like, mm. <laughs> that's what really sells it. And the whole clip goes on for like three minutes, and it is hilarious, especially when his son tells him, you made that grace, what well, you made grace your bitch, dad. Nice job. I mean, just <laughs> absolutely beautiful stuff. So what's your three? My number three is also from Talladega Nights. It's from later in the film after Ricky Bobby has his accident and he's convinced that he is paralyzed where he is not. <laughs> and to prove it, he decides to stab himself in the leg with a, a steak knife. And it goes over about as well as you would think when somebody is so psychosomatically paralyzed. Ah, that is good stuff. So then, Matt, my number two is a film, at least a particular scene that, again, I know I've said a few times, I cried, I laughed so hard the first time I watched it. I think it's going to come up for you, so I'm going to pocket the clip for you. But when Eva Mendez tells World Fails character the guy, and the other guys that she's pregnant, and his reaction to that is absolutely pitch perfect. But I'm mm. confident it's coming up on your list, so I'm going to save it until we hit your next one. But it's number, number two. And all, all I'm right. say well, it involves gators. Yeah, it's not on my list, Chris. What? Well, it, just wait. Just wait. But it, that particular portion is not on my list. Well, then you're going to have to hear it. I was holding it for you, but... Thank you. Um, come lay with me. Be safe. And let's make love. Come on. Every time you say be safe, it tears me apart. You've got to let me be who I'm going to be. Ellen, I'm pregnant. Whose baby is that? Who's the man who did that to you? Gators bitches better be using Jimmy's. I cannot tell you <laughs> to this day. That cracks me up. So good. <sighs> All right. So good. What's your two? All right. Then? So my number two is from Step Brothers. It is the portion where they decide they have to have some more room for activities. And um, like two 40-year-old men who act like 12-year-olds, they decide to make their own bunk beds. And the aftermath of that is just fantastic with the cherry on the top of John C. Riley going into his parents' bedroom, crying that uh, there's so much blood and that how could you let them do this as he's, as he's potentially killed Will Ferrell. It's just, it's just something that... If you have ever been like an 11, 12-year-old boy, you obviously understand that. Hang out with your best friends. That's <laughs> <laughs> good. All right, then. My number one, Matt. I think possibly the greatest scene that McKay, Farrell have been a part of. They're not even the main focus of the scene. They're not. But it's probably the one I've quoted the most out of any of their collaborations ever. And it's, I think 
you all know what it is. Well, I'll give this little cookie an hour before we're doing the no pants dance. <laughs> Time to musk up. Wow. Never ceases to amaze me. What cologne are you gonna go with? London gentleman or wait? No, 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 hold on. Blackbeard's delight. No, she gets a special cologne. It's called Sex Panther by Odeon. It's illegal in nine countries. Yeah, it's made with bits of real panther. So you know it's good. It's quite pungent. Oh yeah. Ooh, it's a formidable scent. <laughs> Stings the nostrils in a good way. Yeah. Brian, I'm gonna be honest with you. That smells like pure gasoline. They've done studies, you know. 60% of the time, it works every time. That doesn't make sense. Well, let's go see if we can make this little kitty purr. There it is. Sex Panther scene from Anchorman. Yeah, yeah, and it is my number one as well. But it just continues where she goes out into the newsroom and uh, right. Veronica Corningstone is like, oh, it smells like a diaper full of Indian food. And then somebody <laughs> walks by and goes, it smells like Bigfoot's dick. It just keeps going. It is hilarious. It is so good. Uh, good stuff, folks. Uh, absolutely. Any honorable mentions for you, Matt? Yeah. So from the other guys, the 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 retelling of the story of Gator told in flashback, mm -hmm. um, where at the end he's got the grill on and like all of the leather yes. Adidas gear, and he's rubbing his face with a with a pistol. Um, or, and also from the other guys, um, Mark Wahlberg meeting Eva Mendez for the first time and how he's pretending <laughs> yes. to explain. <laughs> no, seriously, who is that? Um, Anchorman. Um, the other one I would mention is uh, Anchorman, the glass cage of emotion where yep. he loses his dog and he's screaming or milk is a bad choice. Those are all great, Matt. Yeah. I think the only one too that I think was relatively serious for me is in the big short mm -hmm. where Brad Pitt chastises those two other guys for getting all celebratory because they're making a ton of money off of people losing their houses. Right. I think that was one of the uh, better scenes in that film as well. But I think it's interesting that none of those latter-day McKay films have made the cut at all in these things. Mm, yeah, but his, his work with Will Ferrell just kind of lives on forever. It's instantly yeah. quotable. It's so bad what happened between the two of them. I, uh, it is. Horrible. All right, folks. What's your favorite Adam McKay-related scene? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. And that's a big show for this week, Matt. What do we got coming up next week? It's supposed to be the tragedy of Macbeth and the King's Man, but I think it's actually going to be, what, the King's Man and what are we doing? Licorice Pizza. Licorice Pizza. That's what pizza. You know what it is? I can't, my my classic, uh, I can't even say it now, speech impediment. I mm -hmm. really struggle with licorice pizza. It's okay. a... <laughs> <laughs> it's very hard. I may have you say it every time we mention it in the, in the next episode because I can't very seem good. to pull it off at all. Very good. All right. Fair enough. And we're going to, hopefully, we're going to start our top 50 of the show. And we're wow. going to try and get 50 through 41. And it's just Matt and I are going to share our 50 favorite films that kind of help shape who we are and the movie fans that we are. So that all starts uh, hopefully next week. In the meantime, check us out on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Do a search for the first run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you will find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. I'll help other people find the show. And uh, we'll read that on the air. We just dropped our Alien vs. Predator Requiem show, Matt. And 
I had a lot of shocking revelations on Screen Run for that one that I just was not expecting. So you should check that out at screenrun.fun. And uh, I guess that's it, folks. I hope you all had a great holiday. I hope you enjoy your New Year's. We love you. Get that booster. Take care of yourselves. We'll see you soon. Happy New Year. I'm Ricky Bobby. If you don't chew Big Red, then f*** you.